Welcome to SNC Critical Insights. I'm Melissa Sawyer, Global Head of SNC's M&A Group, and I'm here today with our senior M&A partner, Frank Aquila. The M&A markets have been really dynamic and they change from year to year, but today we're going to talk about some of the recent M&A trends that we've been tracking. Frank, why don't you start off by grounding us in what you saw in 2023? Thank you, Melissa. As I always tell people, whether they be clients, bankers, financial advisors, or lawyers, M&A has never been for the faint of heart. And I think that is indicative of the year that we had in 2023. Coming off of a record-breaking year in 2021, a modest year in 2022, we came into 2023 with great expectations. And I think you had expectations on the one hand of very significant M&A activity. And at the other end of the spectrum, there was also expectations of a recession. And on the positive side, we avoided a recession. It looks as though we may very well avoid a recession again this year in 2024. But the M&A activity has not lived up to what we anticipated. The year started well with the announcement of the Pfizer CGEN transaction. We were representing CGEN in that one and closed well with the closing of that transaction. But in between, there really were fairly a few of the mega deals that we look to in big M&A years. And when I say mega deals, I'm talking about the deals that are 10 billion or more. There were plenty of deals at the sub $10 billion level, but certainly not up to the level that we were anticipating. Overall, M&A was down roughly 20% from where we were in 2022. One of the hallmarks of 2023 was the fact that we were seeing a lot of regulatory headwinds. Maybe, Melissa, you could touch a bit on exactly what I'm talking about in terms of the regulatory headwinds that we were experiencing, not only in 2023, but even prior to that, but it really came home in 2023. Yeah, Frank, those regulatory challenges have definitely been the big story of the year. And we continue to see a lot more scrutiny from regulators, both from antitrust regulators like the US FTC and DOJ, but also from a ton of competition and foreign direct investment regulators outside the US. There was a lot of rulemaking in the space, too. So in addition to those heightened investigation and enforcement efforts, we saw, for example, Europe adopt their new subsidies regulation. And in the U.S., we saw new merger guidelines and HSR rules. And I think the net result of all of that is that we're still not seeing a lot of deals getting blocked but it's definitely taking a lot longer to get deals cleared. 
And that in and of itself poses issues for deals that need external financing or deals that occur in fast-paced industries where there's real value associated with being able to close a deal quickly. I think it's probably also fair to say that this current enforcement environment is having a chilling effect on deals in some industries, especially tech and life sciences. Companies thinking about M&A deals now need to spend a lot more time and money prepping their regulatory posture for the deal to make sure that the process goes more smoothly. Meanwhile, though, with all of this heightened regulatory scrutiny around the world, we are seeing lots of green shoots when it comes to cross-border deal-making more generally. And Frank, maybe you could speak to those cross-border trends a little bit. The cross-border story, to some extent, is something that has been playing out over the course of the last few years. The recent trend, certainly since the pandemic, is for a significant decrease in cross-border transactions, roughly down in 2023 by 20% from what we had seen in 2022. And quite honestly, probably the lowest level of cross-border deals in a decade. I think part of that may have to do with the fact that Chinese companies are not making acquisitions. U.S. and European companies are not making acquisitions or investment in China. So that certainly has reduced the level of cross-border work there. In terms of the green shoots that Melissa was talking about, I'm looking at a number of things which I believe will, in fact, increase cross-border activity in 2024 and beyond. First, I'll talk about Japan. In Japan, there's been a liberalization of their takeover rules. That was in 2023. There clearly is a greater openness by Japanese companies to have non-Japanese senior management and an opening to be acquired by non-Japanese companies. Also, at the same time, Japanese companies, which have long been concerned about the loss of jobs, are less concerned about that today because of the aging population and the shrinking working age population, and instead are looking at how they are going to grow and become more profitable during this period of potentially shrinking population in Japan. So they're going to be doing outbound transactions. They're going to be consolidating internally. And so I think we're going to see a lot of activity in and out of Japan, particularly as U.S. companies seek to reposition their Asian investments from China to Japan. With respect to Europe, this has been a period of great uncertainty post-Brexit. To a certain extent, I think there's a degree of stability now in Europe at the industrial level. And as a consequence, many of those European companies are looking to increase their U.S. presence. Part of that is because since the financial crisis in 2008, 
growth in the United States has far outstripped the growth in Europe. So we started in 2008 with the EU economy, which then contained the UK, at slightly larger than the US economy. Today, the US economy is a bit over 50% larger than the combined EU-UK economy. So due to the faster growth, European companies want to have more of their assets, want to be more invested in North America. Similarly, many U.S. companies see this period with a stronger dollar as a good opportunity to acquire European companies, which not only have footprints in the U.S., but also have footprints around the world that many U.S. companies lack, and this would be an easy way for them to pick up that global presence. One of the things that's changed for cross-border and domestic deals is the way deals are financed. And obviously, we've had increasing interest rates, so that's been a complication. Melissa, maybe you want to touch a bit on what we're seeing there. Yeah, everywhere we turn these days, we hear people talking about private credit as a source of acquisition financing, and that has definitely been one of the big stories in 2023. It's really kind of a fascinating subject. The credit markets tightened up a bit in the wake of the Silicon Valley Bank collapse in the spring, and of course, we saw interest rates climbing up steadily as well as central banks tried to slow down inflation. And the consequence of that, as well as other macroeconomic developments, is that a lot of buyers found themselves priced out of the bank loan and bond markets for acquisition financing. So, you know, one dynamic was that there was this hunger for financing, but lack of supply. And at the same time, we saw investors starting to look for other ways to put capital to work because putting it into traditional private equity buyout funds wasn't leading to deployment of the capital at the same pace that it had in the past. So that's where this private credit phenomenon comes into play. It's not a new thing. I mean, it's been around for a long time, but the market has grown tremendously. I think it was about 280 billion of assets under management about 15 years ago, and now it's about 1.75 trillion. So don't get me wrong, the bank lending and the bond markets haven't faded away. In fact, there was actually more activity in the bond market just this week, which suggests that markets are highly resilient. They're sensitive to changes in interest rates and macroeconomic news more generally, but they haven't faded away entirely. So I think one of the interesting things to watch with this private credit phenomenon is that it's currently a pretty unregulated market, but I think that could change. Some of the banking regulators have started to scrutinize this space more closely lately. It is an incredible tool for dealmakers who are trying to put together financing packages in anemic markets. We've seen sellers even try to put together stapled packages using private credit providers. So if I had a big prediction for 2024, it's probably that we're going to see more blends of traditional acquisition financing mixed with private credit solutions. And I think that's going to add a lot of complexity to transactions because 
we're accustomed to juggling variations in exit timelines and governance rights between equity financing providers and traditional debt financing providers. But now we're going to have to blend in techniques to address the needs of the private credit providers as well. And you'll end up with this three-headed hydra. But all in all, I view that as a positive because it's a way to get more deals moving forward. Frank, do you have any other predictions for 2024 that we should be thinking about? I'm actually quite bullish about 2024 for a number of reasons. One is while the economy will not be as robust as it has been in the last couple of years, we do seem to have avoided a recession. I think we're going to see modest levels of growth. And with that, much of the firepower that both private equity buyers and strategic acquirers have sitting there and have to some extent delayed utilizing in acquisitions is going to be put to use this year. One of the things that I would point to is, and I always tell people that you need the right economic conditions, you need the right financial conditions, you need the right strategic transaction in order to have deals done. But ultimately, a sentiment is extraordinarily important because the decision often rests with the CEO as well as with the board as to whether to go forward with the strategic transaction and when to go forward with it. In December, EEY did a survey of CEOs at top companies and 98%, you heard me correctly, 98% of the CEOs said they planned to pursue a strategic transaction in the next 12 months. Even if only half of them execute on that, you're talking about close to 47% of the CEOs of the companies doing strategic transactions this year. So I think we're going to see a significant uptick in activity this year. Will we see another 2021? That's the question everyone asks. I think the likelihood is we won't, but I think we will see something much more akin to 2021 and 2022, which were really strong years for M&A. And I think we're going to see it with an increase in strategic buyers executing on deals, private equity buyers, and as I mentioned, really a rebound in the cross-border deals, which we haven't seen in the last few years. Melissa? Well, that's all good news. I'm looking forward to a busy 2024. Thanks for listening to SNC Critical Insights. For more information about our practice, visit us on the web at www.sulcrom.com. Thank you.